Hi, everyone. Welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dave Giancola from the USGA, joined as always by my colleague and co-host, Mike Trosel. Mike, how are you today? Hey, Dave, doing great. How about you? I am doing well, and Mike and I are so excited today to be joined by Renee Powell. Renee played on the LPGA Tour for more than a decade and was only the second African-American on that circuit. She's now the head golf professional at Clearview Golf Club in East Canton, Ohio, a course that was famously designed, built, owned, and operated by her father, Bill Powell, making him the first African-American to do so. So needless to say, clearly a family of pioneers. Renee, we could go on and on with your impressive resume, both both on and off the course, and we'll certainly dive into it during this conversation. But first, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, and how are you? I'm doing well, thank you, and it's great to be with the two of you. Now, Renee, a few years ago, we had an exhibit in the USGA Golf Museum called More Than a Game that featured dozens of artifacts from Clearview and some personal items from your family. Now, for people who don't know Clearview, how would you best describe the story of the course? Oh, the story of the course. Wow. It's, um, it's a golf course that you, my dad was, um, was a lover of the game of golf, discovered it at age nine. And after World War II, came back uh, and found out that he was not welcome at uh, um, the area golf courses, which were public courses uh, here in Ohio. And so my dad... Um, felt that everyone should have an opportunity to play the game of golf, which he absolutely loved. And it is such a huge part of history, which many people don't always know about. But um, he began building it shortly after World War II uh, in 1946. And um, actually, the first nine holes, he literally seated by hand with a hand seater around his neck, walking back and forth, seating every single fairway of the first nine holes. And it was, Creepy was just an old rundown dairy farm that was no longer in operation. And daddy found a place here, um, which was about 10 miles from where his original home was. And um, decided he was like an artist, I guess, where he walked the land and couldn't move, uh, couldn't couldn't move land because he didn't have the money to do it. But he walked around, seeing where every fairway should go, every green should go, and there's a stream that runs to the golf course, and so that stream actually comes into play in in many parts of. Uh, of the first nine holes, but it's such a beautiful layout that he was so obsessed to do something, create an opportunity for all people that did not discriminate against whether you were what your gender was or your religion or or your nationality or your color. And that's why Clearview is such a an important part of our American history. Um so and it's and I feel so fortunate to be able to be here every day to look out to see what one person and along with my mom actually created, designed, built, and um, has brought so many people into the game of golf. And indeed, there is an Ohio historical marker right at the course. Now, Renee, it's not just that your dad built the course; as you said, he built most of it. By hand, we had an mm-hmm. aerator uh, in the USGA Museum that, that he pushed pretty much every uh, you know every couple weeks at the course. But he also worked another job. I mean, this wasn't this was certainly a labor of love and passion for him. But he was also raising a family at the time. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in your family, a golf family, but also just just struggling to get by as well? 
Well, you know, I mean, I, I didn't realize the sacrifices that my parents made and were making to uh, create opportunities, but also to raise a family. My dad worked a full-time job at Timken. It was called Timken Grill Bearing Company at the time. It's Timken Company now. And it was a steel plant. He worked there as a security guard. And uh, and then when when he got off work, he would come and work on the golf course and, and building the golf course. Uh, and so, you know, when you're, when you're little, you don't realize the struggles that your parents go through. And so it was like one big backyard, front yard, backyard. And I, my dad put a golf club in my hand when I was three. So I almost learned to walk, talk and play golf at the same time. You know, I mean, I, I started playing so early. And so it's always been a part of my entire life. That's amazing. And then, you know, you go from three years old holding a club, and then at 12 years old, you win your first event. And then three years later, you have upwards of 30 trophies in your closet. So that's quite a progression in, you know, a decade plus. What was that like growing up, learning the game on your father's course as he built a course? What was that like? Well, you know, I mean, I as a youngster, you don't realize what you know, I mean, it was normal to me. It wasn't a normal situation, but to me, it was a normal situation because that's all I knew. And um, so my dad got me in my first tournament when I was 12. And and actually, it was a, uh, it was a women's tournament, a women's division. I played in, in that. It was up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I had never played competition, but Two weeks later was a junior tournament in the Midwest District, uh, UGA Junior Tournament, which my dad felt that that junior tournament was more important. But since I had not ever played competition, he put me in against these women that hated the fact that a 12-year-old was beating them. And so, you know, it really got me into, he sort of threw me out to the wolves in the beginning. So when I played the junior tournament, then it was, uh, you know, I was used to uh, a little bit of competition and, you know, and I knew how to, you know, what I needed to do. And so I won my age division in that. Um, but I think it was pretty good psychologically for my dad to put me in a women's tournament at first. It weren't going to treat me very good. <laughs> and Renee, your game just kept improving and improving. You played in the 1962 U.S. Girls Junior uh, mm-hmm. Played in high school, you were captain uh, of your college golf team, and then, as Dave mentioned earlier, you played on the LPGA Tour for a little over a decade. Now, mm-hmm. when you were doing that, what kind of challenges did you face traveling around the country in the 1960s and 1970s? When, so let's face it, many parts of the United States were not exactly welcoming to African Americans. Well, that's true, but but going back to when I played uh, junior golf, and my parents oftentimes had to fight to get me into junior tournaments because they didn't want to let me allow me to play because I, I was black. And, um, you know, these are some tournaments within Ohio and, and, um, and then I didn't play, I played during high school, but I didn't play on a high school golf team because it, they did not allow girls to play on a high school golf team back in those days. Uh, and there were no such things as girls team, no such things as girls couldn't play and boys. But, uh, so I actually experienced, um, 
a lot of, you know, different prejudices and racism as a teenager before I even joined the tour. I mean, I actually had my first confrontation of it when I was eight years old in the school that I went to in my home area with teachers and 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 kids. My parents ended up having to take me out of uh, our local school because of racism. So, I mean, I, I experienced it from the age of eight onward. And then, as you say, I did captain the women's golf team. I went to Ohio University and later Ohio State. But I think the one thing for me, and one of the reasons that I've always felt very, um, very strongly in a positive way to the USGA was because I played my first junior national junior tournament, as you said, uh, in 1962. And at the time, Mr. Joe Dye was executive director. It was in Buffalo, New York. It was uh, at the at the uh, Country Club of Buffalo. And Mrs. John Pennington was the um, chairman of the Junior Girls Committee. And I remember going there, and uh, it was the first time that a, at the time, I think it might have said Negro, but I think that was a term he used back then, first time I had played in, in that particular tournament. And the USJ and Mr. Dye and Mrs. Pennington could not have been nicer. And I remember after I went in to register and came back out, Mr. Dye came to my dad and I and said, you know, Mr. Powell, the, uh, I want to welcome you and Renee. And the only thing the USJ requires is that you have a golf game. And Renee does have that. So welcome. So, you know, it made me feel whereas in other other times I was sort of um as I said, my parents had a fight to get me into tournaments, but the USJ was so welcoming. And um the following week, I played in the U.S. Women's Amateur and then, you know, later on the Open. So I was sort of prepared in a sense, but you're, not, not, you're never really prepared for confrontations of racism and, and um, discrimination. But uh, I had faced it before and traveling on tour, um, I ran into a lot of situations with, um, you know, restaurants or Hotel, we stayed a lot of motels back in those days, or uh, accommodations, and even private housing accommodations, and uh, threat letters of my life, which was shocking to me, uh, and you know a lot of other incidents. But because it was a difficult time, and um, yeah, it was always interesting. But I always tried to uh, remember. Uh, what my parents would say, and, and they were always my backbone, you know. And uh, and and my my parents never believed in giving up, and so they taught me the same thing. Uh, and my dad would always say, you know, you're always going to run to obstacles, but just find a way to the other side, and always conduct yourself as a lady. And and you know, and there are ways to show people to educate people uh, rather than um, being you know ne- negative towards them. I mean, Renee, it's tough enough to you know, shoot a, a good round of golf, even under the best conditions with everything else going on. Uh, but, you know, what you had to deal with between the discrimination and death threats, uh, obviously, you know, making that much, much harder. What, what kept you strong? What kept you going uh, in those you know, days in the 60s and 70s? Well, what kept me strong was you know, I talked to my parents a lot, you know, and I would cry sometimes. I remember the first time I, I had gotten a threat letter in my life, I just cry. I went to our tournament director and he said, well, there's nothing we can do. And I'm thinking people are talking about (laughs) doing away with me. Right. And I called my parents and they didn't tell me to come home. And I'm like, I would have thought they would have said, come home right now, but they didn't. And they wanted, I guess they wanted me to have a tougher backbone. And, um, 
you know, and my, my mom would always say, you know, she, she always prayed about everything. And we were raised Catholic. My mom would always say, you know, God, you know, God loves you. We love you. And, um, and, and I felt that my parents went through so much more than I did when, you know, cause they were, uh, you know, in the earlier days that, that I also had a mission in a sense. And, and I prayed a lot too. So, and I, you know, and thinking, well, maybe God wouldn't put me in a place that he didn't, where he wouldn't take care of me. I, you know, so it just, um, you know, I tried to focus on what I was there to do and, and certainly nobody else on tour was going through what I was going through. Uh, and, and as we all know, golf is so much more of a mental game than physical game. So, you know, it was challenging in, in that uh, direction also. Did those challenges, Renee, reinforce why your father built Clearview and past your LPGA career, why you felt it was so important to return as the head golf professional and continue that legacy and really the purpose of Clearview? Well, you know, it, 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 it did. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, you learn so much more <laughs> as you grow older. And, and I wish I would have known in my twenties, what I learned in my thirties and in my thirties, what I learned in my forties, but and also, you know, and I, I remember, uh, looking back and I always love to read, uh, stories, uh, and the book, uh, books about Harriet Tubman of things that she had done. And, and, uh, and I was so glad to see a movie come out about Harriet, um, because she was doing something. She, when she came out of slavery, she went back to bring other people out and she didn't have to do that. And, and, and I always knew that, you know, if you don't try to, you're, you're either the problem or you're the solution. And if you don't try to do things to make life better for other people and move forward to leave the world a better place, then it's not going to happen. And everybody has challenges, but everybody also has responsibilities. And uh, I think my parents really taught me that I have responsibilities too in life. You know, she, they, they taught us kids. And, and so for me to be able to come back to Clearview, uh, to, to lead the things and to continue the things that my parents did is very important to me. And, and not only is there a Ohio historical marker on the first tee, but there's a national register of historic places on, on the building. And uh, which all happened in 2001 when we also became the uh, Clearview Legacy Foundation, a foundation here for education, preservation, and turf grass research. And so those are the things that that uh, I think are important to continue what my parents set out to do and uh, just important. Renee, it's been an amazing family course over the years. It may be Clearview Golf Club, but this is a course that is open to everybody. You're there as the head golf professional, but your brother Larry has also been the the superintendent there for, if my math is correct, coming up on 50 years, which is pretty amazing. What is it like to to work with Larry day in and day out? Well, you know, it's. um, I think it's it's great being able to work with family, and and he was raised he's younger than I am but he was raised to understand and unfortunately he wasn't able to leave here to do the things that he wanted to pursue because my dad needed him here um and so I'm here um to support all the things that our family believes in and being able to work 
with him on a day-to-day basis is uh, pretty outstanding because, you know, I was away from here for a long time, and so now I'm back here. And I guess getting to know each other better, you know? Because um, my life was been spent traveling, traveling the world, but we're both in the belief of of making life better, uh, growing this game of golf so that it is inclusive of everybody. Uh, so when you walk past a golf course or drive past a golf course, that it looks like what our country should look like. And your family has done so much to that goal of making the game inclusive. And then, Renee, you did more. You took it one step further, and now you run a rehabilitation program called Clearview Hope. Can you tell folks what that's all about and why it means so much to you? Well, you know, there there are two things in it that's happened to me. One was, um, this is the best program I've ever done in my life, which is with women military veterans. And the best trip I ever took in my life, most rewarding, was to Vietnam as part of the USO tour, of which Mary Lou Crocker, Mary Lou Daniel Crocker, who won the junior girls in 1962, uh, the two of us us went. And I think that that also sort of reinforced in me the fact that how important our our veterans are. Um, My dad was a World War II veteran, as I said, and then Mary Lou and I went to Vietnam. And... um, a friend of mine at PG of America um, brought to me the fact that they're uh, uh, they started a program called PG Hope Helping Our Patriots Everywhere, but there were no recreational golf programs for women military veterans. And so that's what I then created. He encouraged me to create that, and we did. And we have over fifty women in our, on our roster, and they're women that had never thought that they would be able to play the game of golf. Um, there are mothers. There are are single um, uh, single women there. We have all five branches of the uh, military represented. We, I mean, we even have a coastie. We have a coast guard, uh, and so um, they. Many of our women are dealing with dealing with PTSD. Got a couple of purple hearts, and they have found that golf is such an incredible sport because you're out with nature. Um, I remember when one of my women, she hit the ball, got it airborne. She goes, it's so empowering. And so many of our women have been um, serving in the military, maybe being in situations where they were the only one in, the only female in their area. And there have been really horrible, horrible things that have happened to them. Um, Things that I never ask them questions, but eventually they will talk to me about it. And uh, golf has been this this sport that and this game that has been they they say it's a safe haven and they can go out and they play and and one of the women I remember said to me we can be in a room with all women military veterans we don't have to say anything because we all understand each other so golf has been this incredible program that I've been able to to um, give of myself and use the talents that God has given me and that my dad has developed through the game of golf to be able to give to these women who have done so much and went you know, around the world to help to keep us safe and free. 
Renee, you used two really interesting words there, safe haven and empowerment. You've given so much of yourself to make golf a safe haven for people, and you've empowered so many people. And going back to Clearview Hope and the trips that you've taken, so many powerful trips around the globe, one that was just so inspiring to me, I was rewatching a feature the other day about your trip to St. Andrews with the group from Clearview Hope and staying in a residence hall at the University of St. Andrews with your family's namesake, Powell Hall. What did that mean to you? Wow, you know, it was it was uh, absolutely absolutely interesting when the president of the university uh, contacted me and said that they wanted to name this building, you know, for me and and to see my family name on the outside of the building, Powell, is just amazing. I mean, here it is. Uh, the University of St Andrews is the third oldest English speaking university in the world behind Oxford and Cambridge. Uh, it is uh, right in the home of golf in, you know, at the, uh, in St. Andrews there. And for, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm an American citizen, you know, I'm on the other side of the pond and for them to then decide that this building should be named uh, for my family and me was just absolutely amazing. I mean, it sort of took me off guard. And, and, uh, when I went over there, the women, six of my women went over, um, to in, in July of last year. And, um, because somebody had sponsored their trip over and they stayed in the Powell hall and they didn't know that I was going to be there. I flew over, got there about an hour before they did to surprise them. So just to see our name on a building that's going to be there forever. I mean, the University of St. Andrews is over 600 years old and that building is going to be there for a long time. Um, so it's so amazing that a country uh, that, as I say, is on the other side of the pond has recognized uh, myself and our family is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, Renee, that's that's the home of golf in St. Andrews. So to have your family's name be associated with it has to be pretty special. But but you truly are one of the game's great ambassadors. You've traveled all around the world. You mentioned Scotland, Vietnam. You've been uh, to Asia, Europe, everywhere. But but at home, at Clearview, what what do you think the legacy of, of Clearview is? What, what does the course and its place in the community continue to stand for all these years later? And what can we learn from that? Well, you know, and my dad, my brother, my we're talking one day and my brother said, this is truly America's course. And that's what, and that's stuck. And it is America's course. So I, I think the whole legacy is the fact that uh, Clearview is, welcomes everybody. It invites everybody to play this incredible game of golf. Um, and which, which shouldn't be, um, you know, it's not, you know, it's not, can't be taken lightly because a lot of places people are unwanted, but I can remember my dad teaching any women, uh, because women were so welcome on golf courses. My parents at one time had the largest junior tournament when it was just a nine hole golf course, uh, largest junior tournament in the state of Ohio over a nine hole golf course. So they've always really been into um, bringing people into the game, encouraging them to play, inviting them to play. And I think that's the whole legacy. And the fact that everybody can do something to make the world better. You know, I look at it, my, you know, we talk about, often talk about Jackie Robinson and, and who had a team behind him or, um, 
or um, Miriam Motley and Bill Willis, who played with the first blacks to play in the uh, in a football and um, you know professional football, and they had a team behind them. They were with the Cleveland Browns. But then you look at my dad, and the only teammate he had was my mom, and so it really also shows that everybody can make a difference, and um, it doesn't have to be a grand difference, but it can be a difference to make this world a better world because God's not going to make another earth. We only have one earth to live on, and we all need to be able to appreciate that and to uh, to encourage others uh, and to be a welcoming, uh, of which Clearview is very much so. Well, I, I think your your dad certainly has established quite a legacy there of being welcoming. So what, what do you think, my last question is, what do you think the game of golf can do from the governing bodies to each one of us individually? What do we need to do to make the game more welcoming, more accessible to all people, whether they be you know, beginners, juniors, women, disabled golfers, or, or golfers of all races? What, what can we do to make the game more welcoming? Well, you know, when you look at Book of the Game of Golf right now, there's about only about 8% of the total U.S. population plays golf, which means that roughly 92% of people in our country don't play this game. You know, if you're in it, you think everybody plays it, but that's not true. And so each of us can reach out to people. You can reach out to people that don't look like you, that, uh, and there's, you know, and, and I mean, I speak at, um, I'm a Rotarian. And so, you know, I'll speak at Rotary clubs about golf and, and, uh, you know, in growing the game, whether it's with youth or whether it's with, um, um, you know, uh, adults, whether it's with people with disabilities, but everybody should be included. Um, so individuals can do different things, but also organizations, associations can, I, I think that they have the power to, to open more doors, to be receptive. They can, you know, there's a lot of people that are struggling that are out there on their own, that are trying to do things with the youth programs. And I think that, I think that associations need to know what's out there, who's doing what, and, and they need to embrace people. Um, you know, I know we've done a lot of research and whatnot, but still we need to take action and not just do research. We need, we need to jump in there and where we don't see people, we need to bring those people in. Um, there's just a lot to be done out there, but like I say, um, people have to be able to communicate and people have to be able to educate. Renee, that is just so well said. There's so many things we can do, like Mike said, from the professional ranks, the organizing bodies, to maybe somebody who just plays mini golf on Saturdays, but everyone can make a difference. And we thank you so much for joining us today. Your story is incredible. I feel like we just got to the tip of the iceberg. We we didn't really get to everything, but I know that you've got some lessons to get to out there at Clearview. So again, we thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Well, thanks, Dave and Mike. I've I've, uh, enjoyed being with both of you. Thank you, Renee, and thanks everyone out there for joining us. We encourage you to watch a feature that we did at the USGA a few years back called Bill Powell, More Than a Game. It can be found on the USGA's YouTube channel as well as the USGA streaming app on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire. It's an incredible feature on an incredible family, and again, we thank Renee for joining us today. So for my co-host, Mike Trosel, I'm Dave Giancola, and we'll talk to you next time.